Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Boxing One Podcast. I am your co-host, John Richards, a.k.a. Jay Rich, and I'm here with the homie, Chris Lasseter. C-Lass, what's cracking, homie? Jay Rich, what's good, homie? Ain't nothing, man. Listen, episode number 56, we both agreed on who this episode is for, right? Yes. LT. LT, Lawrence Taylor. Apparently, he's from Virginia. I didn't know that. Williamsburg, the 757. About two oh. hours from where I grew up. All Virginians know every area code in Virginia, which is kind of weird. You don't know all the Georgia area codes? S- way too many of them, bro. <laughs> way too many of them. You know, that's just how relevant we are. But this episode is committed to Lawrence Taylor, one of the best to ever do it at linebacker. I know we talked about Singletary back on 50, right? Well, LT is right up there. He was one of the first cats that made it wearing earrings as a football player look cool, right? Yeah. I mean, he just scared opponents. It's like <laughs> fighting Mike Tyson. Super scary, bro. Super scary. So this episode is committed to LT, and we're going to start out with a topic that we both love always, especially around this time of the year, man, the NBA playoffs. And we're in the middle of a lot of first-round series, man. Usually these series kind of go pretty quickly. There's a lot of sweeps. But we got some really competitive games going on, right? So questions, C-Lass. Which one of these first-round series that are still going on since the Pelicans actually swept the Blazers, which is crazy, uh, is going to wind up being the best series of all the first-round series? Which one do you think? All right, so I'm thinking just like most dramatic, the one that if you will be like, oh, if I went back, looking back next year, and be like, I hope we get a series like that, Jay Rich. This is hard because everybody's come up and tried to make those series be 2-2. And I'm really, I'm stuck between Cavs, Pacers, and Jazz, Thunder. And I I mean, I'm leaving out great series in the middle of that with like Bucks, Celtics, and the Rockets seem to be eroding, and the Timberwolves seem to be getting healthy at the right time. There's so many great series going on, or maybe it's just mediocrity in the league, but uh, all of those series, man, I'm super hyped, but I think you think about OKC's big three thing could implode in one year, or we could be watching in the end of LeBron and Cleveland, possibly. So uh, for those two reasons, I think those are the ones that I would lean to, unless Giannis just goes crazy in the last part of this series for the Bucks. I mean, it definitely, Cass Pacers is definitely one of the most entertaining if not only because of Lance Stevenson <laughs> and his <laughs> antics, man, what is up with him? So I, I partially have to agree with you there, but I'm kind of mad right now. Cause you're, I mean, you're not giving me any love for the Raptors wizards early on Raptors won that game first game one. And, and we were like, okay, they are one seed. And then they started Toronto Raptor rink, which basically means they started falling apart. And then John wall happened this weekend and now we all of a sudden have a series it's 2-2 and you got i can't quite figure out the raptors number one seed won a ton of games but they always tend to do this and i think that the wizards as an eight seed can actually pull this series off man and i think it's going to be more entertaining going forward is there a single seed in these playoffs that matter this year a single seed Mm, probably not man I don't know what's going on with this playoffs. It's just kind of kind of wonky. You know, home teams aren't winning home games. Away teams are coming into 
home teams arenas and just beating the brakes off them. So I don't know what to say about the series. Although, as we're recording this, I think the Rockets are up 24. So I think they got back on the wagon, bro. It was just one point a minute ago. Yeah, they're up 84 to 60 as I'm speaking right now. So uh, so we're going to have to stay away from that series. But I might have to agree with you partially. Cavs Pacers is just funny just for the fun factor. You got Lance Stevenson. You got them all walking in with the same suits on, the Cavs, looking like they're part <laughs> of a cult group. I mean, just the fun <laughs> factor associated with this particular series. I don't know if you could overcome that with any other series at all. You really didn't mention the Heat 76ers, though. We we know the Sixers are going to win that series, right? But that series has been probably one of the most contentious, physical, just teams going at each other. I mean, other teams are like shaking hands beforehand, afterwards. But these two teams, you can say they kind of legit just don't like each other. And it goes back to the preseason with the white side and Embiid with the Twitter beef. <laughs> it got real in the court. It always starts with a Twitter beef, man. But the fact that they're they're trying to score when they're up by 15 at the end of the games, like there's a lot of drama going on around that particular series. I think the Sixers are going to close it out, but this closeout game is probably going to see some more blood. I know your boy Justice Winslow caught some caught some elbows or something and got got a bloody uh forehead. So, we'll see what he happens. Stepped man. on Embiid's mask, fam. <laughs> Like I said, man, this this is one of those like, oh, man, that's almost kind of throwback ish. Although, you know, they can't really do too much as what they did back in the day. But this is as close as we're going to get to a throwback. And it's good to see the young guys on the 76ers actually stepping up and actually matching the physicality that the Heat are trying to impose on them. And no one can stop Ben Simmons. It's over. Usually in the first round, it's like two or three series that I want to watch. And the rest of them, I'll be like, ah, I just want to know the final score at the end. But right now, I can't think of anything that's not compelling. Yeah, you're right. I mean, all of them, top to bottom, even the 1-8 matchups, I, I could watch those games all day long. So, and yes, no love for my Spurs. They did win on Sunday, but, you know, it's just one of those games where it's like you just want to see more Ginobili at this point. Don't think we're gonna they're going to win that series, but uh, grateful that they won that game on Sunday so that we can extend Ginobili's career at least another game or so and i think everybody's a spurs fan at this point yeah i think so too just given the situation with pop so shout out and prayers to greg popovich and his family as they deal with the loss of his wife so uh speaking of an event there was breaking news recently that a gentleman walked into a waffle house in tennessee and killed four people all four of them were under the age of 30 and uh, the good hero portion of that story is that an African-American male, James Shaw, actually wrestled the gun away from this man who walked into a Waffle House with an assault rifle and just started shooting people up. He could have killed more had it not been for uh, this gentleman. So uh, as we're recording this, we just found out that they actually captured him today alive. So uh, grateful for the work that the local and national police have done uh, to apprehend him. But man, we're we're in an era where this isn't just a school related thing. This isn't just uh, something related to unrandom acts. This is actually something that's pretty random, man. Like if I go to a random town in Tennessee, I'm eating at a Waffle House. Got to have it. So 
it's just scary to think that someone could walk into this random location with no motive, as we can see right now, um, with an assault rifle who didn't have any clothes on. It was just uh, terrifying, to say the least, man. So, so Chris, man, just just as you know, you saw the news and you were processing this, uh, you know, how did you feel about uh, the situation and what was going on? Like, what was your instant reaction to this? Lots of thoughts, but my immediate thought was just like one of gratitude for seeing the act of courage in our protagonist in the story and learning some of his background and hearing what he said, why he did what he did, the lives that he was able to save by his act of heroism. So I was super encouraged by reading and the backstory on him um, and just the warm wishes. And then you kind of got to fall back and say, oh yeah, we're celebrating him because this happened. And then like the backdrop of the story just starts to grieve you, right? Like where can't this happen at? Like this is a crazy time uh, to be alive. So um, just um, the assault rifle narrative in our country um, from the mental illness narrative, from the race narrative, um, it's just constantly bombarding us. And here's a story where you have a bunch of those. Thankfully, in this story, we do have a hero and something to celebrate, but we also have lives to mourn as well. So it just felt overwhelming to me. Um, last week on the podcast, we had done a live and we had talked some about Derek Minor and his new video. And I saw Derek Minor tweet. He said, this is literally a couple blocks from my house. Um, so just be in prayer. Mm. And, um, so, I mean, it's it just crazy. It gets real when you see someone, you know, saying like, hey, this isn't as you, you're on as detached from this, as you know, like someone who you care about is wondering like, hey, could that guy be in my backyard? So, yeah, I mean, and then just, you know, thinking you were talking about the backstory, thinking about what happened years ago uh, with him uh, trespassing near the White House. Uh, he was charged, but they were dismissed. Uh, they seized his guns, but actually gave them back to his father um, because his father had a permit to carry. So it's just, you know, just seeing all of that and seeing that this guy's background probably would have led to something like this eventually. It's like, wow, what can we do as a society, as a culture to to try to prevent these things and be proactive in preventing them rather than reactive? Uh, in doing so. And to see this happen in small town America, both of us are, are from small towns, man. And seeing this happening in a smaller city uh, is definitely something that's that's jolting um, and definitely something that uh, keeps me prayerful, you know, with my family being in a small town uh, to make sure that, you know, that they are covered in prayer uh, and that we continue to pray for the victim's family here, man. All these folks were under 30 years old, man. So um, definitely disheartening, but remaining hopeful in the midst of it, knowing that even though we're in this broken world, that um, that one day, you know, Christ will make all things new. So I live in the same school system that um, my kids go to the same school system that I grew up in. And every single day we pray that God's hand would restrain evil, um, hold back evil in those school systems. And I'm like, man. Like never once in the entire time I was out in these school systems did I ever think, hey, I might not be safe here. Mm. Um, 
Hmm. Even when we had fire alarms and bomb threats, we knew it was our buddy who was trying to get out of taking a test that period. And he just wanted us all to stand outside to keep his GPA up, you know, like um, probably not the wisest thing, probably pretty foolish to do, but we never really felt some immense threat. But it's a very real thing when I'm praying that like I, I can sense like, man, there's nothing different from the school that my kids attend and any of the other schools where this has happened. Mm. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, just a final thought. One of the cool things about uh, the hero in the story is that despite all that trauma, despite having to go to the hospital for being grazed with a bullet and despite the barrel burning his arm, he actually uh, intentionally found himself on his way to church because that's where he was going to go right after Waffle House. So, so he had this, this sense that I need to be in God's house. And, um, Today, we were kind of talking and texting back and forth, right, Chris, because, you know, there's a little bit of a concern that some people have that we wanted to talk about tonight, right? Absolutely, Jay Rich. And so I think you help me think through things really well. So sometimes if I just get a sense like, hey, it feels like the Christians I know are kind of feeling this way. I love to just kind of push some of those issues towards you and have you help me think about them. And I think it's sort of helpful for people on the podcast to hear it. Um, but we we have this passage um, in Matthew where Jesus says um, he's going to build his church and the gates of hell will not uh, prevail against it. And we have that as a promise in scripture. And at the same time, we have our present reality where it just feels like on a number of fronts, uh, the church is just taking a lot of losses. It almost would give you the appearance or the feeling that, man, how many losses can we take and still make the playoffs, you know? Um, and you think about things like the the Church 2 movement or um, just a flurry of ministers falling from grace, um, the way we can't seem to unite over race issues and things that just uh, weary you. Um, I've even noticed in my own life constantly having to remind myself that the promises of God are true in this, that we still evangelize, that we still preach the gospel. Um, but those things have been weighing on me as well. And so I guess the larger question we would have you like take a stab at answering is, um, what would you say if a Christian came to you, Jay Rich, and said, help me, I'm falling out of love with the church? Yeah. I mean, and to be honest, that's a harsh reality for a lot of Christians, especially black Christians in our racialized society. Um, those who might see the church as kind of this white institution, so to speak. Um, so, you know, I would go back to what you said about um, about that confession that Peter makes in the Gospels and in him confessing Jesus as the Christ, Christ turns around and says, upon this confession, um, I will build my church. I, the Catholic Church <laughs> thinks it's Peter upon which he's building the church. But most, a lot of commentaries would say that the confession of Jesus being the Christ is the confession upon which Christ has decided to build his church using imperfect people like these 
unsmooth stones upon which he builds on the cornerstone. But all of scripture, the New Testament, is all about that foundational piece of Christ being the foundation. So, so when I hear very real stories about people wanting to leave the church, it's not because of Christ, it's because of what Gandhi says, right? <laughs> it's because of the Christians, not because of the Christ. <laughs> Um, so, so I would, uh, continue to look for ways to, uh, to allow them to, uh, recognize the imperfections of Christ's bride and the fact that we're all in need of that grace that sinners are in need of every single day that we're in need of the gospel every day. It's not a one-time occurrence. Um, as a matter of fact, as you continue to grow spiritually, you probably need the gospel more. Uh, than you did when you were first converted. So uh, I would try to remind them of that and then to remind them of the foundation upon which the, the church itself has been built. And that's Christ. Is un, he's unmovable, unshakable. He's the one in whom all things do hold together. But listen, a lot of people would be like, okay, that sounds a little bit, you know, like a, I guess a, an answer that's just kind of like canned, but I rest all of my hope upon that confession. Um, and that's how I live my house, my life every day within my household, uh, at work, uh, among coworkers, among other Christians, because I know that we're all broken and flawed. And at some point, that brokenness is going to shine through in ways that are just going to be quite embarrassing for the church. But he decided to use us <laughs> in all of that brokenness. It's just kind of that weird paradox. What about you, man? What would you encourage someone uh, who is wrestling with this issue? Yeah, so I actually have these conversations um, with a lot of people. And uh, first, I would say um, one of my hearts is to be a gatherer. So I kind of want to be with you in that process of introducing you to the gospel, introducing you to the church, introducing you into body life. So you live in my neighborhood. We're going to start having these conversations. We're going to go to church together. I'm going to say, hey, here's where we do small group. I'd like you to come to our small group. So we're kind of together through all this. But one thing I really like to do is set that expectations for the church as a beautiful mess on the front end. Like, hey, some people here are going to hurt you. Hey, some people here are going to offend you. Hmm. Some people here are on different places in terms of like learning what it means to be racially reconciled through the gospel here. Like we don't all have it together. And it may even be me because it is like, it's just called to be some type of beautiful mess. And hopefully uh, just the beautiful theology. I, I think for me, the verse that like I keep coming back to even more than the foundation for me personally is just the one that says that in Acts where he's like, uh, Christ spilled his blood for his bride. And just to say like, hey, like as frustrating or as disheartening as it can be in season when you're watching pastors continually fall, when the church is having issues with race and it's directly impacting you, when you see in the church too movement, um, when you see in the church and you feel like maybe it just feels way too political and not very merciful, um, not very engaging with the poor um and we've and we've lost our way i say hey like this isn't how christ deals with me 
Like he doesn't just throw up his hands and wash them. I need grace. And so I need to be gracious in my response to his bride at all times with the same amount of grace and mercy that he shows me. I, and so um, humbling myself in that situation, not being so arrogant as to say like, hey, if it was a church full of me's, it would be a perfect church. I know that's not the case. And so trying to move forward in that grace mm. um, and just remember Christ, like he spilled his blood for this bride. He cares. He is deeply invested in this. And it's the uh, Missio Day with no plan B. Like we are called to be his active agents in this world right now. Art Azurdia has a set of messages that um, just are entitled Rekindling Your Love for the Church. And Tabidi has a message called um, The Church of Worship that he gave at the Worship Guide Conference in 2009. And if I ever feel like I'm in a place where I am feeling proud or arrogant and disheartened in a way that forgets that I need that same grace, returning to those messages kind of helps me reorient as well. Speaking of resources, any uh, books that you've been reading lately or articles or anything else that you want to share with our listeners, sir? Yes. So um, I'm going to go with a resource that is musical because Timothy Brindle's album, The Unfolding, just dropped. And so I've been rocking with that for about the last three or four days. And it's long. It is. He raps for an hour and 39 minutes. Bro had a lot to say this album, mm. <laughs> but it is good. And basically, he just wants to help uh, people get the picture of the fact that it's not two covenants of grace, uh, that we see the gospel telling one story from the old to the new and how the Old Testament points us to Jesus. And he does a great job with it. So it's almost like sitting in the seminary toolbox, um, just set to some music and him rapping it. So it, it's nice. cool, Jay Rich. Nice. Good stuff, man. We'll definitely include a link to that in the show notes. So you're going to be proud of me, man. I'm actually on the same book that I was on last week, preaching on your feet. And I would definitely want to recommend that to listeners. It's, it's still a good read. Uh, slowed down a little bit. You know why? Because my wife left me last week. Well, she didn't leave me. She's traveling. <laughs> so I've been here with the two kiddos uh doing the dad thing dadding not babysitting we dad 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 and uh been enjoying that so preaching on your feet i'll put that link in the show notes as well because i'm continuing to read that and it's definitely still a good read definitely still appreciating what the author has to say there hey i'm in the same boat yo hey when you are dadding by yourself for that time are you good at that man like i didn't have so my dad wasn't around growing up but I feel like I'm kind of a natural. I feel like God has graced me to be able to do this. Like she, my wife got home Saturday. The whole house was clean. The kids were good. Like everything was washed. Like it was a nice vibe. I was like, man, I got this, bro. I got this. So it does feel natural. What about you? Yeah. So when my wife's gone, I like to experiment a little bit more in the kitchen. So that could be a hit or miss with the kids sometimes. They don't always want donut sliced in half as their buns for their hamburgers. Um, <laughs> but the like, my dad was very hands-on growing up, and uh, he just relieved my mom a lot around the house. Mm. And so this feels very natural to me. If my wife needs to go, she's taking a class in another city. I'm just trying to move forward in what she feels like God's called her to do. And I want to 
I want to celebrate that. I want to push my wife towards all the goals she has in life. And so I can definitely hold it down here for a week. Um, I do things a little bit differently than her, but I can get it done. Yeah. And that's that's probably going to be my closing shout out. Dads who dad. Like I, I despise when people say, oh, you're babysitting the kids. No, I'm dadding. OK, <laughs> I'm being a father. And I know other dads who do the same thing. That's what we do. So, you know, kind of trying to change that narrative that we're not babysitting like these are my kids and they enjoy being around daddy. And we don't have to feel like we're locked in a prison. No, we're having fun and and hanging out. So closing shout out for me is dads who dad. What about you, C-Lass? I'll I'll, I'll go with that. I I feel you on that. And I think um, like I'm not trying to oversimplify things and. But um, a lot of the issues we do see in society, I do think um, like strong families, again, um, centered in the gospel would fix, you know, like that's a gross oversimplification on some issues. But at the same time, I feel like dad's back in the picture would make a huge difference in our community. So amen to that, man. Absolutely. All right, bro. That's been episode number 56. Wow. 56 episodes in, dude, of the Boxing One podcast. Thank you guys for joining us. Look. If you're not already doing so, go over to Twitter, hit us up at Boxing One Podcast, uh, join our Facebook group at Boxing One Podcast, and also hop on over to the website, BoxingOnePodcast.com. All the episodes are up over there. You can check them out. Besides that, we're going to see you guys next go round for episode number 57. Hopefully, some of these first round playoff series will be over by then. Jazz Thunder play tonight, Jay Rich. Who you got? Real quick. I'm check it out. Guess who I'm gonna go with? I'm going with the young boy, Donovan Mitchell. Let's roll. Uh, the Thunder get that tonight. Bro, I, I just gotta watch to see if Russ is gonna make good on his promise to shut down Rubio. <laughs> I just gotta watch to see if Melo shows up. We'll I hope see. he wears a hoodie all night. We'll see. All right, you guys. We'll see y'all next go round. Peace out.